This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, my peers, and welcome to this week's episode of the Peers Project podcast. Today's guest talks about turning your learnings into opportunities, having transformed her honours project at university into her career. You know, so many of us, my peers, were determined to pursue existing opportunities to advance our goals. We endure three years plus of studies at university and often find ourselves struggling to get into highly competitive graduate programs that we're unsure will actually find fulfilling. We often give in to the belief that if there's no clear path to our dreams, then we just can't move forward. But today's guest, my peers, reveals that you actually can create your dream job and that the best opportunities are the ones we actively create for ourselves. So who is our guest today? Who is this brilliant young entrepreneur I'm talking about? Well, her name is Catherine Kawaki. Catherine is a CEO and co-founder of Respia, an asthma management system that tracks and records the user's respiratory health and medication use and has the power to detect asthma attacks before they even happen. Catherine's work has been recognised by respiratory specialists and international award bodies on countless occasions and has achieved 2016's James Dyson Award Global Runner-Up and soon after was recognised at the Good Design Young Australian Design Awards. Vogue Australia described Catherine as having conquered what many industrial designers hope to achieve in an entire career at just 22 years old. I honestly could not be more excited to have you all listening to my conversation with this amazing young innovator, my peers. So before we dive straight in, make sure you share this episode with your close friends, especially those who need a little bit of extra career motivation right now. Also, don't forget to take a screenshot, upload to your Insta story and tag both The Peers Project and Catherine Kowaki so that we know you're listening in. So without further ado, my peers, here is my conversation with the brilliant Catherine Kowaki. Catherine, welcome to The Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. 
Of course. So, you know, you and I connected through a mutual friend of, of ours, um, Michael from Value Exchange. And Michael's another one of our podcast guests. And when he kind of told me about you and what you were doing, I was super intrigued. And I'm, you know, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you being here today. Yeah, thank you. No, Michael is a good friend. We met on a trip to China where we represented Australia and pitched in multiple competitions um, in Beijing, Shanghai and Huangzhou. So, um, yeah, I think Michael's idea is really cool and we've stayed in touch since. And yeah, he told me about the Piers Project and yeah, now I'm here. Yeah, now you're here. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> so good. So look, before we dive into you and your work, I want to start with a question that I often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is... What did you love to do as a child and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yep. Um, so I remember being very um, interested in the built environment in the natural world. So also um, because of the influence of my parents. So my mom, she was into fine art and she did a lot of painting. My dad really liked going on um, adventures outside um, of the urban area so we'd always be going to the beach or camping um so I like doing that that kind of stuff and I think that inspired a natural um interest in how things operate and how things are built and um constructed and manufactured and um you know always being uh and you know, making things with my hands um, from scratch. That's something that I think later on um, kind of influenced me to take on the degree that I ended up doing, which was industrial design. I love that. And I think you're so right there in terms of how your parents can influence, you know, what you end up doing and, and kind of what you do as a child. What were some of the early things that you built back when you were very young? Um... Uh, okay, so I I did a lot of drawing. I did a lot of outside forts, I guess. Um, we had rabbits and chickens, so we made them a little fort around this big pine tree we had in our background. Um, you know, lots of like little bits and bobs, but then um, it started getting a bit more substantial in high school when I was doing a subject called design and technology. And that was giving me the skills to go into making electronics. Um, so uh, like little model cars that we raced against each other and furniture projects like um, chairs and a, my HSC final project was a water fountain that changed color um, in relation to how much water usage was being um, consumed in a particular area or environment. So if it was placed in a building, a corporate environment, or maybe in a park uh, near near central, then people, as they walk past it, they can see um, how much water has been used that day. And it's also to prevent, um, to increase good water um, awareness, how much water we're using, and to prevent drought. I love um, that. You know, to combat drought. <laughs> yeah. So cool. I think it's so cool that you were able to tap into what you actually care about and what you're interested in at such, at such a young age, even at high school and kind of knowing that you wanted to do that in your final year and whatnot. So obviously you studied, and this is what we were talking about prior to the interview, you studied a, a Bachelor of Industrial Design and it just so relates to everything that happened as you, as you grew up. Talk to us a bit about those um, that degree there and kind of your experience at university on that kind of higher level of understanding industrial design. Yeah, so um, I had a few different 
uh, options going into university and I was tossing between um, business uh, or commerce, um, industrial design and architecture mm. and I ended up going with industrial design. Um, so that was four years of study, um, my honours year being in 2015. And to me, industrial design is the combination of um, the disciplines in the built environment. So um, engineering, art, um, a bit of science uh, and combining these two create a product that has excellent user experience and is really a solution to um, the problem that is um, at hand. So I like that uh, it drew on aspects of um, artistry and making something really beautiful to use, to look at, to um, every single point that you interact with is well thought out. And then actually making that um, functional through engineering and science um, and making sure that the tech pack interfaces well with the outside housing. So I like that balance of disciplines and yeah, it's kind of like the glue between the disciplines. You put that so well. It is totally the glue between the disciplines. And I think that taking on such a unique degree and then going on to do what you've done now is just, it's it's just so different. And I think it just really concretes every, it brings it all together, as you said. So I find that really interesting. Okay. So you went in, you did, you know, industrial design. What was the greatest learning about yourself during your time at uni? Um... Yeah, four years, um, especially starting at 17 and then you go through, you learn a lot and you change a lot as well. Um, I think I learned about myself that I think it's really important to take um, opportunity with both hands, irrelevant of whether you feel you're ready or not. Um, So I think I at first was maybe thinking about things too much um, and... Uh, I think no action is worse than an action. So it's better to act and have failed than to never have acted. Um, So I think, uh, you know, getting yourself out there, giving it a go, even if you might not think that you're particularly ready, for me, that was um, a big learning curve. And um, there's a statistic that women are chronically um, undervaluing themselves and underestimating themselves. So that's something I had to overcome. Um... I think I've also continued to progress in creativity and um, being able to interface with all of the disciplines um, very much so, especially now running a startup company, um, you very much have to be able to understand what each of those different people from different sections of a business are trying to say to you, um, even though you might not necessarily be an expert in each one of those. So, um, yeah. Mm, I love that. And I think it, it totally, lend, it so lends to the startup world. And when you build something of your own, you know, you're the finance person, you're the architecture, you're everything, you know, you're the marketing head. And I think that it's so cool to see that you were able to kind of take what you learned at uni and, and kind of, and kind of engineer that and, and, Put, and put that to good use today. So I love it. No, it's so good. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about, before we dive into your startup, I want to talk a bit about the early years of work. So, you know, you, you, were, you clearly industrial design was your thing and you definitely dive straight into that career. Talk to us a little bit about, about that transition from just at uni studying, kind of seeing all this stuff in writing and then to practically doing it afterwards in the working world. 
Yeah, um, it was definitely a big jump going from um, industrial design skill set to going into um, industry and having to interface with the both business side um, as well as design side. So uh, design school doesn't really give you those business skills um you you are encouraged to take or well one of our core electives is marketing for example and statistics but no one ever sits you down and says um this is how you run a company if you ever need to for for example commercialize one of your ideas so um thankfully now there is an elective called um business startup at unsw in sydney so um that's exactly catered for um people from the built environment who want to go into business and do their own um, thing, whether it's a startup or consultancy. Um, but yeah, uh, so I I left um, and graduated in 2016. And then over that period, um, I went and worked for a few different places. One was um, a boat and yacht manufacturer. So I learned a lot about carbon fiber processes um, and then another place was an architectural hardware manufacturer. So I learned a lot about lock bodies and complex mechanical assemblies. Um, and then I went on to a little bit of design consulting work, both freelance and at a firm. And then I ended up going on to take on Respia full time. So I was in the industry for about a year and a half. And then um, there was a lot of, uh, I guess, demand for Respia to be a product that was actually able to be purchased. Um, yeah, which was quite surprising mm. for me. Um, yeah, <laughs> hugely, hugely. I think it's, I think it's so interesting how you really navigated through the the industrial design world, and you know, talk to us a little bit about gaining those opportunities. You know, so many of us think, well, you know, if there's not a job written, you know, if it's not a job on seek, how are we gonna, you know, how do I create that position for myself? Talk to us a little bit about how you cre- continuously created opportunities for yourself. I think what you really have to do is really leverage what you've done and what you've achieved. Um, So you might look at what you've, you might look back and because things go so fast and you, you know, you finish one thing, you're on to the next. It sometimes um, skips your mind when you look back and you're like, what have I actually done? But Mm -hmm. when you go and, and make sure you take the time to reflect, um, you can really actually see um, objectively and through a, a really clear, Um, magnifying glass what you've achieved and how much time you put into something and the skills that you achieve through that so I think um, yeah really leveraging those um, having a good resume cover letter and really going for whatever it might be um, even if it's not exactly what you might have studied um, take opportunity with both hands Mm. I love that. It's so many good takeaways. So good. Um, okay, cool. So I want to obviously dive into Respia. Now, this has had been a lot of talk about this everywhere. You know, Vogue has written about it. Um, you've gained awards, which we'll dive into later, but it's very new. And that's what fascinated me most about your creation, because it's only been about a year and a half, you know, of you working on this and and, you know, to date, you've had so much recognition for it, which is phenomenal. So talk to us firstly a little bit about what is Respia and how you came up with the idea and then those early challenges. 
Yeah, um, so Respia is an asthma management system and it's a wearable patch that sits on the chest and it picks up the early signs of an oncoming asthma attack. Um, so things like wheeze and a change in eye ratio. Um, so those early acoustic signs in the lungs. Um, and they're the very first things that happened um, when you are exposed to a trigger, for example, such as pollen. Um, your muscles start to contract, you start to produce mucus. Um, and that's the first thing before later signs like change in heart rate and respiratory rate and color in your skin. Um, so we're really targeting that first sign so that parents can um, get their child to take medication or take action sooner rather than later and not ending up in hospital. Um, so, yeah, so that's a bit about the company. And then, yeah, we... Um, it was my honors year project in 2015. Ah. Yeah. Um, so it was part of my industrial design degree. And I spent a whole year, the first semester, researching the challenges that asthmatics faced. And, um, you know, things like missing medications or forgetting that they had taken them or having an attack when it could have really easily been prevented. Um, and I, I, I remember reading a statistic that I think... It, by Asthma Australia, that up to 85% of asthma attacks really could have been prevented and are preventable. Yeah, it's it's about knowing um, your environment, your triggers, and um, being proactive about that rather than reactive. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And I, I, you know, what I find fascinating about you is that, you know, not many university students or honours students take what they did in that year and then turn it into what you've turned it into. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about that I that decision to go, hey, what I've just done this year for uni is what I actually want to do afterwards, you know, and how did you make that transition? Mm, yeah, definitely. It was very, um, actually didn't, by the end of it, after a year of doing your, your degree, um, your honours section of your degree, you're really kind of happy to go <laughs> on to new projects, um, which build your skill set up. But um, over the year and a half that I was working in industry, it, it accumulated a few awards, Red Dot and the James Dyson Award, which gave it a lot of um, media attention. Mm. And that's how um, I started getting a lot of messages from people with asthma saying they would really like the product and where could they buy it. And I was left to say, oh, it's, um, it's still in concept stage, but that's when I really saw it and realized that people want this to be a reality and it's a product that they feel feel would be very val valuable in their asthma care. Um, so, yeah, I decided to go on and pursue it full-time in August last year and um, it's been a wild journey since. <laughs> done a lot of things. It, it, it always is, isn't it? And I love it. I love these conversations because you only ever see the glossed finished product, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, all the phenomenal awards you've won and all that kind of stuff. And no one really talks about those hard, those, that struggle to get it off the ground, that transition, those early challenges. And it, it is so true that it isn't always glossy and is always pretty. So talk to us a little bit about those early struggles that you had. Yeah. Um, so when I started it, um, the first the first pitch that I did was to a a delegation of Chinese investors that had come from Chengdu um, on the west side of China, um, and so that was great because I I actually had 
won that pitch, which was really astonishing to me, to myself, because I it was the first one I had done competition, pitch competition. Um, I was really just flying on um, adrenaline. And um, yeah, you just really have to project confidence in what you're saying, <laughs> even though, you know, it might not be <laughs> um, completely, you know, you might not necessarily be completely convinced yourself mm. but um in those early days it was it was a lot of good practice and good feedback um so I did as many as those as I could um and then I by the end of 2017 I had a thorough pitch fatigue where you <laughs> doing at least a pitch a week mm. and by the end you're just so <laughs> I'm done <laughs> so yeah. with pitches I think um when you start a startup say yes to all because then you know then what you really need to do and what you can um, put aside for another day or if you have time. So you, you really learn to prioritize very quickly. Mm. Um, I think the early stages was one of the challenges was really building a solid business case around the product. Because as you know, my background is design. Mm. Um, so I, it was a steep learning curve for me to suddenly learn everything I needed to know about startup businesses. And um, I'm very grateful for my mentor, um, Alfred Boyages from Foresight Helmet Systems. <laughs> um, and he, he's, Little shout out there. <laughs> I have to because um, he, he really was a huge helping hand and really guided me through those early few months, um, you know, explaining concepts to me and helping me make connections or I would um, ask him to review my pitch or my entry submission for um, any, everything and anything. So um, definitely, I think having a mentor is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. um, someone who's been in the startup game for a couple of years before you have. So, yeah. Um, so, that was one struggle, building a really solid business case. And then um, uh, another struggle, actually on, on top of that, I would say in those first few months, do a lot of customer testing and customer interviews because there are a lot of different business models you could have around your product. Um, but you kind of have to see what your customer would be most comfortable and um, familiar with. So that was one that I went in a couple of circles, yeah. you know, I changed the business plan and how we made money a few times. So um, another struggle for me personally was to um, think less like a designer or a technical person, more like a business person, um, switching hats a little bit. That was very different because as a designer you your number one goal is to make sure that the problem is addressed um and the end user is having a good user experience and really benefits from the product um especially being a medical product um but when you're running a startup you really have to think about you know um the dollar figure and is your business going to be profitable is the cash flow going to be okay how are you going to survive um so that you know, it was a bit of a switch for me. Um, and of course, the universal one is to get funding. Funding mm. is a big struggle with any startup. Um, but yeah, we're, we're on it and we've had a couple of small grants. So yeah, it's okay. I love it. There are so many amazing takeaways here. And I think because it 
but this all happened so quickly for you because you're, you know, this is a, a year and a half and you've managed to dive into it full time and you've gotten the grants and you've made it happen and you've learnt so much, you know, you, how could you not have in the last year and a half that there are so many cool takeaways for us to all digest. Um, I love it. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about that progression. So obviously you gained recognition for it by, you know, the James Dyson Award and whatnot. You know, um, Vogue said that you, you've you kind of done what every industrial designer hopes to achieve in a whole career in, you know, and at 22. You know, talk to us a little bit about what it feels like to be in this position you're in now. You know, do you think about this much or, you know, what's your, what are your daily thinkings when it comes to what you're building? Um... Daily thinkings. Well, when I first started, it was all very new and exciting, and every day was there was a you know a shot of adrenaline. Whether it was you know making a, a partnership or going to a meeting with an investor or doing a press interview, all of that was very foreign and new. Um, so there was a lot of um, nervous excitement, but also quite a bit of pressure to perform and make sure that results were achieved and progress was made. Um, now it's it's becoming a bit more um, smoother and natural. Um, these things don't stress me out as much. Um, and it's, you know, practice makes perfect. Um I remember watching a lot of TED Talks on public speaking because industrial mm-hmm. designers and technical people, they often perform behind another medium. So a computer screen or print media or their product or 3D modeling or you know a video. It's, it's never yourself that you're standing in front with a presentation and pitching. So that took a bit of getting used to as well. Um, but I've done quite a few workshops now, so <laughs> I think it's okay. I love it. You're doing a great job today. I mean, the, I think you. with the setup we've got, it's a little bit intimidating. So <laughs> you're doing epic. You know, I love that. And I think that it's such a good point to touch on that kind of seeing what your weakness, not your weak, the things that you need to work on are, you know, the things that you're not, you don't feel as comfortable with and, and not just pushing them to the side and going, don't worry about it, which you could have easily done, but instead going, great, I need to learn about this. I have to get comfortable with this if I want to see the project progression of my product and my company. So I love that. And I think that's something that all of our peers out there listening can take away. Great. So, great. So, as we head to, you know, as we head into kind of the middle to, to close of the, today's today's chat, today's discussion, I want to talk a bit about the future of Respia. So, you know, where do you see it going? You know, what's in the pipeline for you for 2019? So... Right now, we're focusing heavily on um, raising capital so that we can fund our clinical study next year. So we are, um, we've been working from day one with clinicians from Sydney Children's Hospital and the Wilcock Institute, um, co-writing our clinical protocols with those clinical advisors. So um, it's very important for us that we have um, a good relationship and the support of these key people, especially in the beginning, because um, they really need to believe that there's value for their patients in this product. Um, Because if they don't, then you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Um, So, yeah, we've... We've written those down, and so we've got that in plans and in works for um, winter next year. Is that 
it's the highest incident rate and we'll be doing a bit of data collection there. Um, but for us to be able to um, do that, we really need to raise capital. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a challenge and something that we're tackling as we speak. Mm. I love that. And I think that, you know, as a founder, it is always it is just navigating these challenges after challenge after challenge. And, you know, I just, I want to acknowledge you for that. You know, it's hard work and the payoff at the end, it often takes a lot longer than, you know, just going out there and getting a job and having that income come in every week. So I think it's phenomenal. And I really want to acknowledge you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's definitely the case, especially with a medical device, mm. because not only is it, it's an app plus a physical product. Um, so a physical product obviously takes quite a bit longer than an app, but also medical devices themselves have a lot of regulation around them. So the TGA in Australia and the FDA in America um, and in Europe, the C and CFDA in China. Mm. So, you know, you have to go through all of these different um, regulatory bodies and rightly so because you want to be providing a product that's safe to use and clinically proven to actually help whichever condition you're trying to um, manage or diagnose or prevent so yeah um, it's definitely a, a long haul and um, a journey that I'm definitely going to be meeting a lot of people over and um, making partnerships with but I think it's I think it's a great opportunity and I think it's I really believe in this product and that it has the ability to change lives and how we manage asthma so that's why I'm doing it. Mm. I love that and I think the core mission behind everything and you know, I talk about it as being passion. You you have to be passionate about what you're doing otherwise you'll never see it through but you won't go through, get through those hard times and I I love that about what you're doing and you can just see it, you know, it, it's so evident and all the, you know, all that you've, you know, all that you've done to date and the, the recognition you've gotten to date is just kind of a byproduct of that, which is super cool to see. So what advice would you give to some of our peers out there listening? You know, maybe they're in their final year of uni and they've, they've got this brilliant idea and they, they just know that the world needs it. But, you know, maybe they've even started to validate the idea, but they just, they're not too sure if they should take the leap into doing it. They're not too sure if they should really kind of go down that path as opposed to going the more traditional route. You know, what advice would you give to them? I think uh, if you do want to go on to found your own startup, I think it's first of all really important to get a qualification under your belt. Um, you know, uh, not everyone is a Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, <laughs> You can't, so I don't true. recommend um, dropping out of uni. I, I think it's really important to go and get that skill, whatever it might be, a technical skill or a business skill. Um, go and get that. And you can definitely pursue a startup while you're a student. Um, there's a lot of student competitions. Um, there's the Peter Farrell Cup in UNSW in Sydney. Um, so uh, FYI, Peter Farrell is the founder of um, a company called ResMed, which was an Australian and US innovation. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think it's important to go and validate that. And then if you have a lot of traction behind the idea, the startup, um, and you're starting to win some awards or getting some real validation, then you can go on and take that full time. Otherwise, I think it's really important to go into um, industry and work perhaps for another startup or a big corporate um, 
to go on and get those skills you need to be able to work with so many different disciplines and those interpersonal skills you need to build. Um, running a startup is networking and you need to maintain so many relationships. Um, I think it's really important to see how that happens and gain those skills in industry first. Um, yeah, so my advice would be um, validate first and then if it's got legs, then go and get it. Yeah. Love it. Go and get it. <laughs> Hope we all heard that loud and clear. I love it. Thanks so much, Catherine. I think that today's discussion is just, there's so many takeaways and I, I, before we head into our final question of today's interview, I firstly want to acknowledge you for the phenomenal work you've done and that you're doing, you know, you have literally gone out and gotten it. And <laughs> it's super cool to see you're most definitely a role model for our generation. And for those of us who have that idea, have that passion, have that drive, you know, but just don't really know how to navigate it, don't know if they can do it. And you're the proof that you can, you know, so we really appreciate you for that. And it's super cool to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle, for having me on the show. <laughs> of course, of course. So our final question for today is how we finish all of our interviews here at The Peers Project, and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? So to reiterate, so what is the value in pursuing what you're most passionate about? Um, I think... I think uh, in today's world where there are so many different careers you could go into um, now more than ever and so much opportunity to do so, I think it's really important to not get too caught up in what you're most passionate about. Get a, a general understanding and a scope of generally the area that you're passionate about and go and do it. Um, act, take action, enter into competitions because... By um, acting and doing it, then you'll soon figure out if this really is your passion or um, you should go and try something else. Um, and I think it's also really important to persevere and remain consistent. Consistency is incredibly hard to keep up. So that's a skill very much worth working on, especially in a startup because it's a very much a marathon and not a sprint. Um, I think it's important to always reiterate um, and remind yourself why you were passionate about it and um, to have maybe have a little blog every day or just a personal diary to write about um, what you did. I think, I think the value is very much created through perseverance and consistency. So you make what you, you create the value through your own actions. Yeah. So well said. Thanks so much, Catherine. We've had a ball. Love it. <laughs> and for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To 
see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.